This evening, since we celebrated Thanksgiving, I'd like to talk about gratitude and also the way we acknowledge our blessings through gratitude. Gratitude, of course, is not just a matter of saying thank you. And of course, we do that also in our own different ways. Gratitude is a kind of wisdom when we examine it, when we look at it deeply. It's a kind of wisdom because, for one thing, it helps us realize our deep interconnectedness with each other, with all things. Somehow, in the moment of gratitude, there's something deep within us that can acknowledge my existence in life relies on your kindness. And your existence in life relies on my kindness. It helps us to see how infinitely connected we are to each other. It's no small thing. In Hawaii, there's that word aloha, which means love, it means hello, it means goodbye, it means kindness. It can mean many things. And there's also the word mahalo, which means thank you. And both of those words have this sound, ha, in it. It's a breath sound, ha. In fact, uh, I'm told that in ancient Hawaii, when people greeted each other, uh, to each ear, as they put their cheek to cheek next to each other, there would be a ha. And then on the other side, a ha, aloha. And it was a way of saying that This breath that is a connection to life for me, I share with you. I share with you my breath. Ha, ha. And so in this way, too, this gratitude, it shares our life with others. We understand that deeply, the sharing of our life with others how others share their lives with us. It deeply connects us like the air that we breathe and live in. Just this very delicious, simple, and beautifully presented meal that we all had together, the work of many beings, the work of many of you, the cooks, And in some ways, every single person at IMS had some part to do with this beautiful meal. And the farmers, near and far, and those who drove the trucks, the delivery people, those who took the orders on the paper or on computers that were put together from all kinds of materials from all over the world, infinitely and deeply connected to one another. When we really ponder on this, the rain and the sun, the earth, the wood, the clouds, the people, the worms, the birds, it's quite sacred, really, to feel that deeply 
to feel this connection with this great family that we live within. Not just this family here, but in a sense, a bigger family. This is um, some of the words of Chief Seattle. Every shining pine needle, every sandy shore, every mist in the dark woods, every meadow, every humming insect, all are holy. The sap which courses through the trees, the perfumed flowers, they are our sisters. The bear, the deer, the great eagle, these are our brothers. The rocky crests, the juices in the meadows, the body heat of the pony and men, all belong to the same family. The water's murmur is the voice of my father's father. The rivers are our brothers. They quench our thirst. They carry our canoes and feed our children. The wind that gave our grandfather his first breath also received. It receives his last sigh. All of this part of the sacredness of life that we feel when we connect with gratitude. When we're grateful, we connect. Today, I'm sure each one of you in your own way reflected on your thankfulness for your families, as I did, for our children, for our grandchildren, for our friends, for our jobs, for our retirement. <laughs> in our silence, we could give our thanks in a way that maybe not saying it out loud helps us to feel in a more intimate way. The sweet desserts were delicious, of course, but in giving thanks, as Rumi says, when we acknowledge the abundance and the sweetness of life, Rumi says, giving thanks for abundance is sweeter than the abundance. The very giving thanks is a sweetness, is delicious in itself. So this gratitude, it's a kind of holy communion in a way because it dissolves that sense of separation between ourselves and others. In that moment, it's like it's just non-separateness, no separate selfness. We experience the great web that we're all part of. We realize our bigness and yet our smallness at the same time. The importance of every single being in this great web. It's also a kind of wisdom, gratitude, because when one feels this gratitude, it's like this moment is enough. Check, check it out. Just even remember or feel it in this moment when we can be grateful 
do we want anything else when we feel grateful? In that moment, it's so complete. It's like we don't have to go out for anything else. The mind doesn't wander, reach out. It's just this moment is okay. It's just enough. It settles the heart. When we check it out, we can see that it removes greed, even if only temporarily. In fact, the experience of gratitude is expressed quite often through generosity. When we're grateful for something we receive, even if it's a non-material thing for the Dharma, the greatest generosity in a way. We express our gratitude for the Dharma by doing our practice sincerely. We express our generosity through words, through deeds. Generosity, the opposite of greed. This comes out through gratitude. In a moment of gratitude, there is tremendous goodwill. So there is the absence of ill will in that moment. We feel metta. There is the absence of hatred. So this is a reason why there's a kind of wisdom to gratitude. In a moment of gratitude, there's a diminishing of me-ness, of I-ness, of selfness, of selfishness of self-centeredness. Achancha says, if you don't understand no self, you might be able to understand it by not being selfish. And when we express our gratitude, it is like a giving. It's the wisdom of giving. It is said that there are two rare and precious kinds of persons in the world, those who are generous and those who can feel gratitude. This evening I'd like to read to you the Buddha's words on blessings. And uh, this is a sutta that I would hear over and over again many years ago when Manindra would chant this in the morning and uh, then he would say it in English and so I heard the word so many times and every time I heard it I had such appreciation and I felt like I would be in the midst of the Buddha the Buddha's wisdom would feel the presence of the divine somehow When I looked up the word blessings in the Webster's Dictionary, it said, a condition conducive to happiness or welfare. A condition conducive to happiness or welfare. So these are the words of the Buddha in the Maha Mangala Sutta. Maha means high, and Mangala means blessings. So sometimes this is translated as the highest blessings from the Sutta Nipata. So it begins as most of the suttas begin. 
Thus have I heard. Once the Buddha was dwelling near Savati in the Jetta Grove at Anattapindika's monastery. Then as the night was passing away, a deity of surpassing radiance illuminated the entire Jetta Grove, came into the presence of the Blessed One, and drawing near, respectfully saluted and stood at one side. Standing thus, that deity addressed the Blessed One with a verse. And this is a uh, deity speaking. Many devas and human beings, wishing for well-being, yearning after goodness, have pondered on blessings. Pray, tell me the supreme blessing. And the Blessed One responded, not to follow or associate with fools, to associate with the wise, and honor those who are worthy of honor. This is the highest blessing. To reside in a suitable locality, to have done meritorious actions in the past, and to set oneself on the right course, the Eightfold Noble Path, in other words. This is the highest blessing. Education, craft, a well-trained discipline, and pleasant speech, this is the highest blessing. To support the support of father and mother, the cherishing of partner and children, and a peaceful occupation, this is the highest blessing. generosity, wise conduct, helping relatives and blameless actions. This is the highest blessing. Ceasing and abstaining from the unwholesome, restraint with respect to intoxicants, steadfastness in virtue, this is the highest blessing. Reverence, humility, contentment, gratitude, and the timely hearing of the Dhamma, this is the highest blessing. Patience, willingness to be corrected, association with exemplars of the Dhamma life, and discussion of the Dhamma at the right time. This is the highest blessing. Self-control, perception of the noble truths, the realization of Nibbana. This is the highest blessing. When one's mind is not shaken, when affected by the worldly vicissitudes, sorrowless, stainless, and secure, this is the highest blessing. Those fulfilling matters such as these are everywhere unconquered. They go everywhere in safety, in every way moving happily. To them, these are the highest blessings.
it's noticeable in this sutta, in these words of the Buddha, that the lay life, many conditions of the lay life, are blessings. They're not just seen as being in the way before we begin to practice deeply, that they themselves are blessings, honoring mother and father, our relatives, having an education, a well-trained discipline, a handicraft. Also, qualities of heart that help us on the path towards liberation, renunciation, the realization of the holy life, or Nibbana. This first one, I always remembered that through all these years when I, after I would hear Manindra chant that over and over again, not to associate with fools, but to associate with the wise. And that always helped me to be discerning about who I hung out with, in a way. Of course, there were times I made many mistakes, and um, it took me a long time before I could find out that the people I was hanging around with brought out the worst in me, not the best in me. There was a time when um, it did take me quite a bit of time before I realized that a friend I had been with for a while not abiding, not following the precepts, and not supporting my own doing of that. Finally, one time, I just had to say no. You know, trying to help and help that person see more clearly, but finally, I couldn't stay alongside that person anymore. I just had to say It's time for me to either be alone, as the Buddha said, rather than be in the company of those who are not wise. And so it was hard to do, but setting myself on the right course, that was important. When I uh, wanted to find out, what did the Buddha mean by fool? What was a fool? And there's a particular sutta, actually, in the Majjhima Nikaya, what a fool is. (laughs) Actually, there are, in this uh, sutta, three characteristics of a fool. (laughs) Very simple, really. One who thinks, speaks, and or acts unwisely. And a wise one is one who speaks, acts, thinks wisely. Wisely meaning towards happiness and peace, towards liberation. I guess we can all be grateful because really we're in the company of wise people being here, all of us together, each of us knowing in some deep way that we're setting ourselves on the right course. We're in this suitable locality to practice the Dhamma, something to be grateful for. We have enough food every day. The food is just there. Somebody was telling me today that the leaning into the future was coming up a lot, you know, like uh, so many more days. But uh, 
what brought her to her senses was the fact that every day the food is just there. She doesn't even ha really have to completely wash her dish. And <laughs> the clothes are washed for us. You just put them down there and then they, they somehow all come back most of the time. <laughs> so that brought her back to her senses, you know. This is a good place. We're in the company of the wise. Um, thankfully, we're not speaking, you know. <laughs> that brings out a lot of foolishness. <laughs> brings out a lot of wisdom to be quiet. Like you, how many times, probably each one of you in your own way, tears of appreciation or joy to be in each other's company. It's hard sometimes, it's trying, but a lot of times it's just this great gratitude for being able to practice with one another. There was a time when I practiced here many years ago, and every single time I moved, there was this incredible pain, not just body pain, but the pain in the mind, you know, of having to bear everything. And every time I moved, it would be so painful, just a little bit of twitch in the body, that it, I just had to stay so still. And moving my body, which I had to every once in a while because it became so unbearable, was like some very deep moans, you know, very quiet, but like... And the person sitting next to me didn't always sit in the hall. And I knew that she loved sitting in her room. But she came to sit next to me. And the strength of her sitting next to me I could feel, and it was such a deep support. And I could feel the, the continuing steadfastness of her body and her heart and her mind. And it helped me through that time a lot. And many times, just sitting in front of one of you when I've been here, and just seeing you go through what you do different times and still sitting, staying there. I remember a time walking in the hall downstairs, the walking hall downstairs, and Ramdas uh, was practicing at that time. And we were walking next to each other. And it was really hard. It was a time of practice with Seda Upandita, two months of practice. And um, there were times when I couldn't, I didn't think I could go another step. And he would be right ahead of me sometimes, and I'd see him get to the end. And I really don't know what this meant, but it looked like he was kind of gently banging his head on the wall. <laughs> I have no idea what really was going on inside of him. Um, but I thought, wow. It must be hard for him, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and but he turned around and he kept walking and so it helped me i could turn around and i thought if he can do it i can do it so we were that way for each other you know the gratitude everyone sitting together the buddha mentions the support of mother and father they of course are a major condition of our taking this precious birth in our lives no matter what kind of dukkha we've been through with them and each one of us in our own way i'm sure i don't even have to know your personal stories we've had our dukkha with our parents just as my children have had their dukkha with me that's without a doubt and i know that we don't always feel this kind of gratitude for them and they are a major cause and condition for taking this precious birth someone told me a very touching story that really deepened my own gratitude for my mother and my father that i wasn't with very long in my life and this story about helping his own mother through five years of very or five months of very arduous caretaking illness through the mother's and into until the mother's death and something touched me so much and brought tears to my eyes when he said i was so happy to have the chance to be a precious son be a precious son and to be able to feel that real pureness inside of me by doing that by helping my mother through her death that was really a gem a high point a blessing in my life and that sharing was such um a teaching to me like somebody has gone before me that has done that and then maybe i can do that for my mother cherishing our partner and our children helping our relatives generosity education handicraft a well-trained discipline all of these were praised as blessings not something in the way sometimes we often think that the holy life just has to do blessings just have to do with being in robes or in a monastery or doing this kind of deep healing work but not that at all or totally and then reverence it's a blessing to have reverence and so we can have reverence for all kinds of things in life of course for this mother earth that just keeps giving and giving no matter what we do for our family and friends but tonight uh just talking about reverence and gratitude to the buddha to the dhamma to the sangha 
we get so close to that when we're in practice like this. There are many of us who come to sit and bow before every sitting, somehow put our hands together, or maybe even bow with our whole bodies. That kind of coming close to the Buddha, to the Dhamma, and to the Sangha every time, that instilling of a kind of deep reverence, that's a blessing. This last time when I was practicing in Burma, I had a chance to come closer and closer to experiencing that deep reverence because of so much bowing in, in Asian countries. There's a lot of bowing. When, when some monk passes by and there is time, you take, down, you take off your sitting cloth from your shoulder and you put it down and you bow, even if there's, it's just out on the walking path. Um, not all the time, but many times. In the hall, there was lots of bowing. And it was great for me to do lots of bowing. Where This particular place I practiced, it had one chair outside for the elderly or the people who couldn't put their shoes on without sitting down. And most of the time, you just had to sit. um, Unless, you know, when you went to your room or you went to the dining hall, you sat on the cushion on the floor. And so there was a lot of aching body. And, um, you know, it was such a blessing to get horizontal once in a while, to go to the room and just get horizontal for five minutes before you went back to the Dhamma Hall. Well, I really took advantage of bowing. Before every sitting, I took (laughs) great advantage. They probably thought I was so reverential. You know, just, I would take refuge in the Buddha, And then I would be there for like a whole minute (laughs) in that bowing, you know, down. Oh, thank you for stretching the back. And then I would take (laughs) refuge in the Dhamma, and I'd stay down there for a long, long time. It was so great to... And so I got really familiar, really close to this reverence. And really being in, in a Buddhist country, that's been a Buddhist uh, region since the time of the Buddha. It was so, it was like being in, in the mist, in like, not, not just the midst, but the mist of the Buddha's teaching of the sasana. And just getting it soaked in you. It was so, uh, not just in a Buddhist country, but in, a, in the monastery within the country where the, um, the precepts are kept with precision and purity. So reverence for the Buddha. The Buddha gave so much out of compassion and generosity that even after his life, that compassion and generosity are bearing fruit with the teachings we feel the benefit of the teachings. Of course, there were Buddha rupas, Buddha statues all over the place. And um, just a reminder, it wasn't so much like an idol to me. It was like a reminder. This person was human, 
just like me, not a god, not a deva. This person was a human being. This human being had back pain, just like I did do. This human being had to eat, got hungry, had to eat, got cold, got warm, had to um, be with all kinds of blame. This person was a human being just like me. So being reminded of that and bowing, not just to the Buddha that gave this great wisdom that we're all sharing, but also to the Buddha as a human being. Bowing to that, bowing to that, bowing to myself as well. Taking refuge in the Dhamma, we live in a time when we're so fortunate, when the sasana, the teachings, can still be read, can still be understood in such a way, can still be heard in such a way that it can lead us to some freedom from greed, from hatred, from delusion, to a place of some kind of unconditional peace and happiness. We can find our way because we live in a time when the Dhamma can be still shared and it's still clear enough. When I bow to the Dhamma, I'm not just bowing to the great, profound understanding of the nature of things, but also bowing to this moment the unfurling, the unfolding of this moment according to the laws of cause and effect. I bow to this moment, surrender to these laws that are unfolding through my practice, through my life. Bowing to the Sangha. Traditionally, the Sangha are those who have realized to a degree of purity, the Four Noble Truths, to different degrees of purity, the Four Noble Truths, and who understand and know it from experience, not from book knowledge, and so can lead and guide from that experiential place. And also the Sangha are those who are keeping the precepts so purely, so precisely. When I bow to the Sangha, to those who are keeping the precepts, to those who understand the Dhamma deeply, it's not bowing to the personage of them, but bowing to what their life represents. The... the, purity of mind, of body, of heart, of action, of words, of deeds. When I took robes, it was just a very short time, but I could begin to imagine and have greater respect for those who take robes for a longer time and for a lifetime, protecting the sasana in that very pure way protecting 
the understanding of the Dhamma so it can be carried on in its purity. In more recent times, we might say that the Sangha is our community that we practice in. We are the Sangha. And when we take refuge in the Sangha, we're not just, it's not just the realization that I'm taking refuge in all of you to support my practice. But it's also the realization that all of you are taking refuge in me. And I have a great responsibility to uphold and to support your practice as much as I can. And so it goes both ways in realizing the Sangha. We're part of it. The responsibility is great. It's precious. It's a blessing to have this responsibility, to be able to give our support and to receive that support. And so also, the Buddha talked about the qualities of heart that lead to this unconditional peace and happiness. Gratitude. And that's just one of them. I'm going to repeat the um, Mahamangala Sutta again. But I'd like to talk about other ones that may not be mentioned, but they are these qualities of mind that help us a lot. The hard parts that we open to help us. It's the hard parts that we open to in our practice that help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to know where we need to let go. If it weren't for the hard parts, we would just be kind of cruising, taking it easy. So gratitude for the hard parts because we learn there. We get complacent when it's too easy. For being able to just observe at times when the heart begins to break, when the heart's opening, when it's releasing. Because it deepens our faith in our capacity to be able to do that. If we didn't do it, we wouldn't know we had the capacity to be able to begin again and again and again when it's so hard. This is a blessing to be able to do that. Countless times in retreats, and especially on this last one, I went especially to this last time of retreat in order to clean my heart that's what I said to myself all the time. I wanted to clean my heart more. And there was this particular thing that bothered me over and over again. And in walking practice, it was particularly difficult because that's when the kind of discursive mind would come a lot. And there were many times when in walking, this thing that bothered me a lot, these, these deep sadnesses, these deep places of confusion would come up. And in one step, I would feel it coming and experiencing it, and then be able to say, just leave it right here. 
Leave it where this step hits the ground and begin again on the next step. And a lot of my walking practice had to do with just leaving it. Not letting it go, not letting it be, but just leave it here. And it was like I left it in the ground. And the next step was just begin again. And the beginning again was so important. Believing it, just leave it. The beginning again was the place where my energy could rest. Blessings opening to our fears and our tears. Opening to that old stuff, the rejection, the abandonment, those empty echoes that we get so identified with. And then there's the strengths, the blessings that come as seeing the strength of our practice, the humility to see the truth just as it is and not flinch, to be steady where it hurts, the humility, the honesty that it takes to do that, to ask for help when we need it, to not need to be so proud to say it hurts, to ask, what can I do? To be able to be willing to take advice, to take sometimes admonishment, to acknowledge the courage. Sure, it's hard to face those deeply rooted fears But the other side of it is, it takes courage, it takes patience, it takes persevering effort, it takes determination, it takes equanimity to do all that. So opening to it all, appreciating the beauty and also the hard stuff. and being able to not hold on anywhere. So gratitude for all these ways. So I'd like to end um, with this Maha Mangala Sutta again. Just giving time for some reflection on it. Just a few moments to let it, let the words and the meaning sink in like the mist of the Dhamma. Thus have I heard, once the Buddha was dwelling near Savati in the Jetta Grove at Anatta Pindika's monastery. Then as the night was passing away, a deity of surpassing radiance illuminated the entire Jetta Grove, came to the presence of the Blessed One and drawing near, respectfully saluted and stood at one side. Standing thus, that deity addressed the Blessed One with a verse. Many devas and human beings wishing for well-being, yearning after good, 
have pondered on blessings. Pray, tell me the supreme blessing. And the Buddha responded, not to follow or associate with fools, to associate with the wise, and to honor those who are worthy of honor. This is the highest blessing. To reside in a suitable locality, to have done meritorious actions in the past, and to set oneself on the right course. This is the highest blessing. Education, craft, a well-trained discipline, pleasant speech, this is the highest blessing. The support of mother and father, the cherishing of partner and children, a peaceful occupation, this is the highest blessing. Ceasing and abstaining from the unwholesome, Restraint with respect to intoxicants, steadfastness in virtue, this is the highest blessing. Generosity, wise conduct, helping relatives, blameless actions, this is the highest blessing. Reverence, humility, contentment, gratitude, the timely hearing of the Dhamma, this is the highest blessing. Patience, willingness to be corrected, association with exemplars of the Dhamma life, discussion of the Dhamma at the right time, this is the highest blessing. Self-control, perception of the noble truths, the realization of Nibbana, this is the highest blessing. When one's mind is not shaken, when affected by the worldly vicissitudes, sorrowless, stainless, and secure, this is the highest blessing. Those fulfilling matters such as these are everywhere unconquered. They go everywhere in safety, in every way, moving happily. To them, these are the highest blessings. Just a couple of minutes of silence and sitting.
you for listening to the Dhamma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.